Drummers Only Radio. Drummers Only is the UK's leading drum shop with store locations in Glasgow and Leeds. Our podcasts are full of interviews, gear reviews, and much more from the unique perspective of a drum shop. The show is hosted by two pasty Scottish dudes who talk real fast. Whoa. Slow down there, Braveheart. So here's Chris, the Glasgow shop manager, and Adam, the social media manager. Be sure to like, subscribe, and let's do this. How you doing, man? You know, hanging in there. Yeah, the moustache is um is, is coming it's on. Triumphant, yeah, love it. Oh yeah, the old uh... the old handlebars. <laughs> love it. Well, that's you know, it's lockdown. Yeah, man. I mean, what what better is there to do than grow a bitchin' moustache, right? Yeah, exactly. So how's um how's life? Like everyone, it's been mad, isn't it? You know. Yeah, it's been a crazy year. So I lost a good friend of mine died of COVID on New Year's Eve. Oh. Yeah. A Scottish drummer friend of mine, funnily enough. Um, and you know, it's sort of it was a bit of a shocker because uh, well, it's always a shocker losing a, a friend, but um, he was pretty fit, you know, uh, older than me, but um. But not, you know, you wouldn't consider him to be a really old fella. So it sort of shocked me. I'm thinking, God, I better look after myself. But I'm 51 now, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm up for the jab before May. Oh, brilliant. But, you know, it just makes you think, you know, this thing is. And then at the same time, another guy that I know the same age as him, he had it. And he just had, uh, you know, mild cold symptoms. Wild. Sorry to hear that, man. That's... So it made me think, you know what, I don't um I don't want to give it a try <laughs> if I'm honest with you. Yeah. I mean, you are you are you pretty well secluded where you are? Yeah, so in Norfolk actually Norfolk's pretty good. Um and it has been, you know, mm-hmm. uh because we're just in the middle of nowhere and and it's a little village and everyone um is treating it like like that like it's a little village mentality so everyone's being actually very very safe you know and there's a rare amount of um cases really around here yeah good we're good and and to be honest with you i'm working so much in here um it's constant i'm I'm just i've just feel so it's a, a funny one on the one side it's like it's horrible and the music business is suffering massively and you know people are dying and then on the other hand, I, I, I'm busier than I've, I've ever been in this room. And you're blessed as well because you're also working from home. You know, you're not having to go anywhere, you know. That's absolutely. I just walk across the field and, um, you know, weather permitting and molehills permitting, I can get here pretty quickly. <laughs> you know? do, you, do you think that um, is how it's going to be now? Rather than going into town and being in a room with 30 people, it's just going to be remote? So I left the voice two years ago because this studio was starting to uh to get busier you know so i i thought i'd better give it a go and then and then you know what happened happened um so i was already focusing on doing remote recordings anyway because of my age and i don't want to if i if i don't have to i don't want to go to london Mm. it's a three and a half hour drive for me right yeah and you know it's my choice we moved out here for for the for the reasons that we did but um, so I think for me, yes, it. I'm. Uh, this is it now. It's really sort of established the way that I work, um, and I will do sessions. I did a session. I did uh, the Children in Need single, 
that came out, you know, um, towards yeah. the end of last year. And we did that. That was one of the only sessions I, well, I did with other people last year at, at um, a studio called British Grove. And they, they were, you know, very mindful of, you know, the, all the restrictions. So we had our own area and, well, hmm. Jamie Cullen was in a booth, so we were nowhere near him, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for me personally, it's going to be remote. But I think also the business has just, they it's everyone has taken it on board. You know, there's so many different ways of, of uh, communicating now and, and people seem much happier to let you just get on with it. And, and then import that into the into your, their session. But there's there's no options now. If you want if you want a musician to play on your record, you, it's got to be remote. I hope that it gets back to some sort of norm, some sort of normality where we, the studios are open. Um, but it's definitely it's changed for me personally for the better, really. Yeah, it sounds it. It sounds like you're really happy, yeah. actually. Oh, it's mega. I mean, yeah. I, I, every single day I get a session and it's totally all sorts of different things, you know, um, and all from all over the world as well. I'm just about to start a Taiwanese pop band, <laughs> which is bizarre. You know, um, I did a Russian uh, su superstar, uh, Zemfira, her name is, um, and she's like the Russian Adele, you know, millions of sort of sales. And uh, that's coming out soon, I think. Uh, and this is all through lockdown. I've just done a movie with Hans Zimmer. I've just done uh, Boss Baby Two. Oh, amazing! Amazing, cool. <laughs> so I did all that here, and you know, it's like it's mad. Do, do you get called to be you? Uh, yeah, I do. You know, from certain producers that now that I work with, I'm working with Gary Barlow's doing another album, so I'm working with him now, and he likes the way that I play. He, he you know, he wants me to do what what he wants mm. but he uh, we've known each other a long time now so i think he likes me to to do stuff that he knows that i do you know like certain fills and certain feels and stuff like that i mean you know with with pop music though you, you don't really get called most of the time to be you you know i'm always um copying a demo part or a program part or something like that yeah. but in the end you can't help but sort of put your own stuff in yeah sorry i guess what i guess what i mean is like i, I remember reading or listening to picaro talk about it you, you know people would try and ask him to be someone else can you play like can you play like this guy or can you it, it, you know do, do, do you get that or do you get just like we want you we want your sound that's what we're here for most people are cool and they and they thank god for instagram that's another thing that's sort of <laughs> um it's been amazing for me like a like an amazing sort of advert so people get to see what I'm capable of on that. Uh, and a lot of people ask me to kind of do that. I, I often get people saying, oh, and they'll send me a link to a video and go, oh, we want this snare sound or, you know, can you oh, play a bit like this? That's, that's happening. Um, you know, sometimes people will get me to play something that I just, I can't do it. <laughs> Somebody asked me to do something the other day and it was like a proper prog thing. I've done, you know, I've sort of had my dalliances with prog music. But when it starts getting sort of double bass drum world, that that's yes. that definitely isn't me. I'm, right. I'm stuck, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's tricky. So, but you know, and then I sort of negotiate with them and go, look, I'll try my hardest to make it sound as close as I can to what you've what you programmed. Um, and most people, that that client in particular was all right with what I played in the end. Because okay. I, I brought the energy, I just didn't play exactly what they had 
because mm-hmm. I couldn't. <laughs> but you brought the vibe that they were looking for, which is kind of yeah, the, the energy thing, and yeah. the vibe was there. Uh, and I think in the end, I think that's all people really they want a, a, a good feeling, good vibing, good sounding recording. I was just it's funny. I was actually when you're talking about Instagram, you know, I just happened to be browsing through your Instagram last night, and you know, I seen on your stories that you've just joined TikTok, which right now in 2021 is like the kind of the platform to kind of get noticed and things like that. So, and you kind of touched on it briefly there, but how much has social media had an influence on your career? Because I think I followed you since like about 2013 or something like that when you first started uploading playing videos, and it was great. Yeah. So I think I've been on Instagram almost 10 years. I guess it's nearly that. Um, it certainly is with Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's more more than that with Twitter. It's a, a producer mate of mine sort of describes it as a my sort of the way that my thing's gone. He's like it's like a perfect storm. I, I started getting into social media as um, it certainly Instagram started to develop. I think mm-hmm. I don't know for certain, but I think I was probably one of the first drummers on Instagram to sort of have not just a phone sound. I, That's what I, I was started going, yeah. to up the game a little bit. Uh, and it's like, oh God, this guy's actually, what's, where's the audio coming from? You know, definitely to start off with. Um, and now, of course, everybody's got a studio. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, you know, the outcomes of what's going on. Um, but I think, I, you know, if you look at the numbers, it takes a while to get 200,000 people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And consistent, you know, I got a lot of shit from drummers my age. Really? When I started. Wow. Absolutely. No so, way. you know, what, why are you doing this? You know, why? Oh, mate, come on. You, you know, you don't, you don't need to do this. What are you doing it for? Um, it's not my thing. These are just the things that some drummers would, have, would say to me. Mm. Um, you need to keep a little bit of mystery. <laughs> wow. Um, Lo- loads loads of, of of you know potentially that, that they might be right but as it's turned out i am over the moon that i did it well i was just I mean, you know mike johnson spoke very openly about this when covid hit like all you guys that want to be online teachers should have started five years ago because now when you've when it's all shut down it's it's just you know it's a too saturated because everybody wants to do it and you'd be you don't have a profile at all but you have all that straight away i bet those guys spoke to you were kicking themselves now absolutely that's the interesting thing some of those guys are kicking themselves and and i, I can't mention names you know because they're, they're sort of friends of mine really but um that some guys are scrabbling around now to try and get some sort of profile happening to try and get the idea out that they can do remote recording but so i'm starting my ninth year of the studio here so it's about nine or ten years. So yeah, I'm starting my ninth year of having this place, um, and it's taken that long, you know, mm. to get that amount of people. To the biggest thing, you know, I, I'm lucky, and this is my, again my friend, my producer friend about the perfect storm. He, he describes it. You know, I had a, a recording career before I got the studio and before I, I said that I could do remote. You know, so I was very lucky I had established myself as a, you know, I played on Adele's record, blah, 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 before any of this happened, really. Um, and and James Morrison and Robbie and all that, uh, uh, under my belt, all done. Um, uh, 
but the hardest thing is to convince people that you can do it. You know, it's not, they know you can play the drums. They're like, nice one. Yeah, we, we know that. Um, but what are the 15 files that you send? <laughs> what, or 20 files, what are they going to sound like? You know, um, and that, that's the tricky bit. And all of those things I, I, I've spent over the last sort of eight or nine years, I spent much more time on, you know, on Pro Tools and, and microphone and, and, you know, technology and trying to figure all that shit out than, than I have really played, you know, <laughs> it's mad. I mean, when you were doing sessions in town, were you having these conversations about Pro Tools with engineers so that you, it's just like a little, guys, I know what I'm talking about, not getting in anybody's road, but just oh, what preamp are you using? And, you know, little, little, just drop it in. Is that, is, is that a way that you can sort of let people know, I guess, that you can do it? So over the years, I, I've always watched what people do. I've always been interested in in the process of recording, even though when you're in a, in, like if I'm at Trevor's, there's people, you, you know, obviously I, you just play the drums. You, they, if they say we want the drums a little bit damper, you do whatever you need to do your end. And then they're also adjusting their end, but you never get in the way of each other. You know, the engineer won't come in, hopefully anyway, <laughs> the engineer won't come in and start putting you know loads of tape all over your drums and like oh no and taping up your cymbals or whatever they'll they'll suggest to you maybe that rack tom needs to be a little little bit less sustained or more sustained or whatever um but i definitely watched what people did in because you know you play come back into the control room sit down listen and you're sat behind the dude who's and i i really i always liked it you know um really really enjoyed the whole recording process like it was my favorite thing before i even had a studio the, the process of recording uh and then when it was like well maybe i could do something and this room might sound all right who knows um that was incredible and then and so what you're saying i mean essentially those some of those engineers have no they've they've watched me over the, this sort of eight or nine year period getting my shit together and I've bugged them. I've bugged every producer <laughs> that I know, every engineer that I know, continually. And I'm very again. I feel very fortunate that I can talk to producers that make top forty records and go, "What's going on with my bass drum?" Mm -hmm. in, in confidence, and they and you know a couple of them will go, "Well, have you checked the phase?" This is you know in early days. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What is yeah. that? You know. And now, I mean, it's amazing now. It, like there's so many guys recording and there's so many people really into it i mean you, someone said to me the other day aren't you worried that now everyone's got a studio and it's like well it's it's that's like saying aren't are you worried that there's another drummer in the world <laughs> do you know what i mean that's <laughs> me really yeah you know it's like there's loads of different drummers there's loads of different people recording i, I kind of feel that i've got my lane as they say in the states <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right like just because a drummer has a high-end kit doesn't mean they know how to use it effectively you know they just have it you know and i guess in the world that we live in now like a lot of drummers are having to they're at the start of your nine-year process you know so you've already got nine years on them you know well this you know without without sort of pouring cold water on people's um aspirations how lucky have I been that I can talk to Trevor Horn, Grammy award-winning producers, engineers, while I'm getting it together. I've had the time and uh, 
luck to get this place together um and i can play already and i've got i'm established already as a as a as a recording drummer and i know how long it's taken me so yeah it's a long process but you know what i always say i've always said to guys though is that you might get a sound that uh, you know people can't get you know you might have a little room that sounds a certain way you might have a drum kit tuned a certain way you might have a feel that's a particular feel that just is something that no one else can do and I, that's why i never tell people to you know i, I don't put people off mm. if they go i've only got a couple of mics i can't compete with you it's like well you you might be able to <laughs> especially yeah. now with with loops and uh, and the way that contemporary drums sound if you think about some of the the um loops that people use they might be one or two mics that have just been processed and people can do that you know i can think of a couple of guys younger guys now that i know that have got little setups and they haven't spent a huge amount of money but they sound mega and i'm thinking this is it's impressive you know the speed that that people have got it together you know there's a channel you should check out ash uh, there's a guy that me and chris have been obsessing over over the past week a guy called rick beato beato, uh, beato sorry and um, he has like loads of different video series where he talks about certain songs that sound great and why they sound great. And he has one specifically talking about the drum sound for Alex Van Halen. And they try and recreate a snare sound basically by using you know almost the same drum, almost the same drum heads, and you know dampening it in the same way. And he gets it pretty close, but he's like, do you know what? Ultimately, that sound is just him. You know, so you know you can get it as close as you as close as damn it to you know what it should be but sometimes it's just the person that actually makes that sound happen definitely uh, well we when i again my best mate is a producer and he he happens to be the producer that does james morrison and share and stuff um and we talk about it and we you know sometimes we do a zoom well the wimble arms will open and we'll have a little drink and we'll be on zoom and we'll just be (laughs) chatting and and share's going to do another record we're actually so we're talking about whole the whole Zoom thing actually uh, streaming stereo uh, a stereo feed from mine. So we, we are chatting about it. But he talks about what you're on about there, Chris, which is the the, the sort of pyramid. It 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 start it really does start with the drummer. Then it's the drum kit. Then we feel it's the room that that drum kit and that drum is in, and then it's the gear and we i i'm with him there i think you know if you've got if you've got bernard purdy on a pearl export that's in the back room of someone's rehearsal space he's still going to sound pretty good <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. um and then you put him in a good room and then you get him with on a better kit and it's like hey presto you know so i'm, I'm convinced it's drummer drum kit the way it's tuned uh and then my, um, the room, because the room can really make a massive difference to the way it all sounds. And then, and then I think it's the gear, because a lot of people think, oh, I've got to get the best microphones in the world um, for my bass drum and my overheads and blah, blah, blah. And it's the other way around. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think you should get your room sounding cool. You've got to get your thing together, <laughs> you know, consistently hitting. That's the thing about recording. It's a consistency. I was. That's funny you mentioned that. I was listening to the Tom McRae record you did, the uh, King of Cards. Oh yeah. On the drive up, 
I, I love Tom McRae, and it was weird because when we were checking, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about him. I'd, coming up playing, I'd, these first two records were—I was really into his first two records. But I put that—I put that album on, and you sound amazing. You sound really everything's in its place. It's super deliberate. There's no fat on any of it. It's really, really well played and really well recorded. The drums sound amazing. And it, that was what really struck me. I think there was one song, I can't remember the name of all the songs, but you play this kind of Tom bass groove. It's like, that's just, and it just got into my head, like the pattern was obviously very deliberate. What You, you knew exactly what you were going to play and you'd, where you played it and where you put it was just like, that's amazing. And I think that's the difference between guys like yourself who are pro and people that are coming up. It's one of the differences anyway. And, and I think that's to do with, like I say, my experience before recording. Because mm. I, I know some drummers hate it. Some drummers, they, they play and they go into the control and they just can't, they can't listen to themselves back because they hear all the, all the warts. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all like it. Uh, but I, I grew to sort of love that. It, it, because I, each time I'd go in and listen to myself, I'd learn something new about my playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and over time, you just... You get good at recording. I mean, Mike Johnson, funny enough, when I played um, once uh, on 21 Drums, he said, you know, when you play, it sounds like it's recorded mm. when, when I'm actually playing in a room. And I, and I think that's because, same deal, I sort of, you know, I find that drummers, Carl Brazil does it as well. He sounds like he's doing a recorded performance when he plays. Mm. And it, it's almost like you self, you learn to self mix. Mm-hmm. So you mix yourself as you're playing, if you know what I mean. Like the gad thing. Yeah, same vibe, you know, and, and getting everything so it fits so the bass drum's not too loud and, and the bass drum and snare drum sit well. And then, then you open the microphones up and hopefully it's going to be cool. Was that, did you have to learn to do that? I think it's just a part of the process when you're, of recording. Right. You know, you, you have to do it, try and keep mm. consistency. And then before you know it, like I'm 51 now. And I've been doing it a long time, you know. Eventually, your backbeat is—it's gonna be all right every time. Eventually, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just the focus, focus on that, and 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 recording. I think definitely helped me focus on those things. Mm. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit here. So obviously, if you're watching this episode, you can see that Ash's backdrop has beautiful it has you know like gold records it has a lot of snare drums back there a lot of symbols so one thing i was going to ask you was you know if you get an email from a client say and they're looking for a specific drum sound how do you or they're looking for you to record on their track or their project or whatever how do you go about building a drum sound do you have a default kind of set or you know setup that you go to or is it purely you know do you build it from the ground up every time well, my, my kit, I don't know if you've, you've noticed in, in the videos, my kit doesn't really change. It's mind-boggling what you can do with just a little bit of tuning and then adjustment in Pro Tools. So I, I have now, I've got a bunch of, of, of like in Pro Tools, you probably can do it in Logic and all the other doors, but you can save a template. So yeah. I'll save rock sound or something like, you know, something as simple as that, mm-hmm. basic rock sound. And, that, and I would have worked on that sound. And when it opens up, it incorporates more of my room mics. There might be, you know, gates on certain drums. And then I've just got to make sure that they, the drums themselves, I pick the right snare drum, 
and maybe move the dampening a bit in the bass drum, you know, swap a couple of toms maybe, but just make sure it sounds about right in the room. And then the, my template will do the, do the rest. And I've got that for like, you know, a Nashville dry air sort of 70s sound. I've got that. Reggae things, obviously, uh, gated pop things, all sorts of stuff. So when someone asks me to do something, I usually go, okay, I'll start here and I fish out a template and I'll start from that place um, and then try and match. Usually, you know, people send demo drums or they'll send uh, an idea of the sound that they want or references. They'll go, you know, this is the record we like. Can we get it sort of near there? And I'll, and I'll try. But I've got places where I can start for sure. Just really interesting because I was I've always wondered about it. You know, when you post up clips on Instagram, you know, you're right now thinking back. More often than not, the kit is the same. You know, the, the big changes are usually the snare drum or the hi hats or maybe even the cymbals. You know, um, so I was just curious. And you did something that I really enjoyed, where you put up. Um, I think it was a Yamaha snare drum that you had, and it was what the snare sound that you used on "Set Fire to the Rain." So I thought stuff like that was really cool and it's, you know, it got me thinking like, well, why, you know, how does he go about picking a certain sound for a certain, you know, a certain vibe, you know? That's a good and that snare, for instance. But, you know, I, so there's a couple of things I've always got on. I've got one that sounds like a good hip hoppy sounding snare drum. And then I've got that Fat Max, as it's been named, that does that thing. And that works, you know, that's interesting that that, that snare drum, can, if it's tuned up a little... It works in a lot of different places, you know. And I was doing that fat sound. I've been doing it for years, well before, again, I got this place. It's now hip to have that sort of fat sound. But, <laughs> but I, you know, years ago, I worked on it um, because I realised that producers really like it and singers like it because the, the, the bass drum and the snare drum operate here in the sonic, um, you know, the frequency range. And most vocal, male and female, is above that. So it doesn't get in the way of the vocal. Yeah. So producers really like that. Yeah. Love that thing because all of the other shit's flying above it and it, it just doesn't get in the way. It does what it's supposed to be doing. And everyone's got all of this huge amount of space above it free, frequency wise. So that's why I, I kind of get that fat sound and it's permanently dialed in. One of the things that I, um, I'd say to the engineers, say at, at Psalm Studios, which isn't there anymore, but, I'd, I'd say, you know, it's almost like I knew at some point I'm going to get a studio. I'd say to him, you know, what's, what's the biggest pain in the ass when you're doing a drum session? But the engineers would say that's one of the things that they, that's annoying about drum sessions is that you have to set all the mics up every time, get a sound, and when it's done, you break it all down and do it again. And, and they're, they're all, they pretty much consistently, they all said, wouldn't it be great if we could just leave it up? Talking about gear... Um, you did a session for Easy Drummer, for Toon Track. Yeah. Which I, 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 I like all that stuff. That was just, how, how did all that come around? Because that was really cool. They approached me right. uh, to do a pop. I think that's how it happened. I'm pretty sure we got, yeah, we got, a con we got contacted. And then they, they said to me, it was amazing. They said, uh, um, any producer, any studio. I'm like, wow. That's pretty cool. In it, you know, so the, the incredible um, budgets they have, <laughs> really, you know, yeah. in sample libraries. Uh, definitely, they spent more money on that than I, than some of the records that I've worked on, for sure. Wow. So, how did it differ from a regular session? 
Well, there's no real playing. Right. Okay. You know, on the one hand, it's pretty tedious because you're, I'm doing one right now, in fact. Right. From here. It's quite tedious because you get the sound and then you have to go. So like a, a hi-hat will take two and a half hours. Whoa. Yeah. That's because you've got to play every level and then it's slightly open. There's five different areas of it being open. There's on the side, there's on the tip. Um, there's obviously pedal, pedaling sounds and the rides take about the same because you know, if you whack a ride, it's, it's still yeah. going. Yeah. 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 For sure. And it's still going. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And well, I can't hear it, but somebody else in the room can. So it's, it's still go, you know, it's like, it takes a long time and you have to, and it's, it's, uh, so it's pretty tedious, but financially it's pretty rewarding. <laughs> um, and it is sort of creative in a way, cause you know, you, you have to get, so many different sounds like this new one I'm doing There's, I think there's going to be like you know, 10 kit sounds. Wow. Cause I think the first one there's three kits, wasn't there? Right. On the one is it, it's called UK pop is the... that that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Um, but it was like, you see the pictures of it on the tune track website and there's just scratch snares for days, like notes on the top of them, what each shell is. And you know, that must've been, must, it must be pretty cool to know that your sound is out there for people to use if they want it. Yeah. It's, it's mega. And, I, at first, I was worried about it because I thought, well, God, no, people would just get, you, you know, UK pop. They won't bother hiring me. <laughs> but but uh, but that you, but you, it's about the drummer if we're talking about. Well, this is it. Well, hopefully, what what they might go, God, this sounds pretty cool. I wonder if we'd get him to play on something. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's why I do them because you know it gets my name and gets my sound in front of producers. Yeah. And potential producers. So is this how the the voice gig came about? How did that? So I've always been curious what a TV gig's like because I've never done it. But well, it, um, so you know, one of the things I talk, I say to young drummers, it, having a sort of long career is about your relationships with the people that over that time, and and that is really really important that you that you maintain good relationships with the people that you work with, and you know, just, um, sorry to sound like everyone's dad. But it's like turn up on time, <laughs> yeah. you know, make sure you know what you're doing. All of these little things really matter in the end because that's that's what keeps you being hired. So the the guy that the MD that's still on the voice now, David Tench, I worked with it. Well, he saw me playing with an artist called Lewis Taylor um, years back. Uh, I was playing at the Jazz Cafe, and he really liked my playing. And then I saw him again. I auditioned for Daniel Bed Beddingfield. Um, and I couldn't go back for my second audition. And the, the, gig, the gig had already kind of gone to, to another dude. But he was, on that, he was in that room and I was auditioning. Um, and he was MDing Daniel. And he was also MDing uh, Natasha Beddingfield. Mm -hmm. So he hired me to play with Natasha. Um, that went really, really well. This is years ago, you know. Um, and then I started playing with Will Young. He gets the gig with Will Young. So we're both on the same gig again. We did about eight years with Will. Um, really great band, like a fantastic band. Will, Will's a, a brilliant singer and a, and a great artist to work for as a bloke, you know. Mm. Um, 
and that band was special you know it really was a great sounding band um and then you know a few years later he calls me and said i'm i'm doing the voice and i'm like oh man he goes I, he goes i just i can't think of anyone better than you and i'm like yeah but dave it's a it's a reading gig you know and my reading was nowhere near up to scratch and he said well look i'll send you some of the parts he said because you know it's not it's you know it's not like frank zappa songs every time <laughs> you know it's 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 pop music and it's it's a natural place for me to be you know and it, he wanted me to bring my that my approach to pop music to the show and make it make it a bit more or less sort of um you know bbc yeah. band sounding he wanted to make it sound more contemporary and the approach that we all have when we do a gig you know um and in fact he hired will young's bass player as well to do it oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah um ben epstein is still there on the show um so he sent me some parts and i thought about it and we went in and we we were only supposed to do one series actually because the band at the time i think it was ian thomas on drums jerry Meehan, who plays bass with robbie uh robbie was out and i think they basically had a bunch of the guys couldn't do it because they were touring their commitments with something else. Um, so we were just hired to do it for one sort of short series, really. Um, and we smashed it. <laughs> and then it's like seven years later, I'm like, God, I'm still fucking doing this thing. <laughs> and they are still doing it. So they're like, eight or nine years i mean it's bonkers it's funny you just you just brought up one of the questions i had which was about maintaining relationships because you've played with guys like delamitri for years and years you know and yeah we've got a new record coming out actually so, so like how this is going to sound like a really stupid question but how do you maintain relationships for that length of time i guess it's you know you've got to have a you know musicians um it's interesting isn't it the work ethic i've always had a strong sort of work ethic and make sure that I do well and for people and uh and if you do that you people remember if you've got some sort of modicum of talent as well involved obviously a little bit um but if you can do the the sort of business side of it turn up be professional play well sound good have a good attitude mm. um that's a, that that will really get you um quite a long way you know before your amazing technique comes in involved at all <clears throat> you know being as professional as you can um good sound good drums good attitude um can take you quite a way you know before any of your technique or your amazing feel come into it you know yeah, yeah. it's like a lot of, a lot of people this is what people don't understand it's like the same with recording yeah. you know if producers don't care how fast your double strokes are mm. only drummers care <laughs> and uh, you know uh, that what they want you to do is a musical performance on their track and and if there might be a section where there might be some doubles and and if they want you to do that you should be you Hopefully, we'll have the techniques to be able to do it. But if you start chucking in your amazing, you know, quintuplets on the chorus one, you might not get called back. 
you know so it's what, what i'm trying to say getting back to what you're saying about relationships so if you are professional turn up do your thing got a great sound great attitude then that will stay with people um if you turn up and do uh crazy fills in the first chorus that will stay with people as well <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. Uh, as in they'll never hire you again um <laughs> uh but yeah you know and it's and, and then consistently doing that so I, I think i did well when i played with natasha beddingfield for dave mm -hmm. i certainly we had eight years with um with will young and it was every gig was an absolute joy you know and he remembered that and then when he when he came into when he got the MD job for the voice, I'm the I'm the dude that he thought of. Have you ever? It's maybe a bit close to the bone, but have you ever got too close with people or too comfortable? I should say, where you're like, I'm going to chuck this in and, and see what happens. You know, and you know you like year eight of working on Will's gig, and you're halfway through the tour, and you decide to play a felon that you've never played before. Well, that gig. We, we were consistent on that gig. And that's right. the thing about pop music, really. You've got to be consistent. Mm -hmm. uh, and sing, and that's the thing about singers. You know, they want, they want to hear, most of the time, they want to hear a similar feel in that same place. You, they, 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 don't, they don't want to be put off yeah, by, sure. by anything. Um, but if, if there's anybody that I've ever played with, Will's probably the closest that I've got to, it, you know, in a way that... Um, you, you could, if I wasn't careful, you could be complacent. I've seen people do it. I've watched it happen right yeah. in front of my eyes. And then, no, inst interestingly, those people don't get called back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, funny. Uh, Gerald Hayward talks about all people tend to lose the gig on their day off. You know, like they've maybe. <laughs> that's, that's fair point, yeah. You know, they party too hard, they miss the course, you know, just all that kind of stuff because they just get, they don't, either they don't have the experience to know better or they've maybe just got a wee bit too complacent, you know. Because I think it's, it's very easy because we call it things like, oh, I'm going to play. It's sometimes very easy to forget that you're working. That's right. And there's still a working relationship and there's still a boss, regardless of how relaxed he or she may be. There is still someone who's in charge, and you need to kind of defer to that person, and remember and remember that you know. It's a, it's an absolute balance because you know I think all artists want you to be. They don't want you to turn up with a pinstripe suit on and and play like an accountant. You know they want you they want you to to sort of be an artist in your own area. Yeah, but you have got to do a job, you know, and that mm -hmm. and that's it. Um, some of the best jobs in the world, of course, for some drummers might be, somebody might hire you to play fills, to mm -hmm. be as creative as you can possibly be. And I mean, that's that's amazing. Mm -hmm. The whole jazz world. If mm -hmm. I think about Mark Giuliano, you know, I love him dearly, but Mark gets called to be Mark. And yeah. to do all of those things that we all love about his playing, mm -hmm. they're like, do that. Yeah. But just with that thought, you've played with everybody from Faithless to Jeff Lorber to Tom McRae to Natasha. How do you switch gears? How do you switch it in your head to just go, right, well, today... I was very lucky um, when I moved to London when I was 21, you know, which is 30 years ago now. Um, <laughs> I moved... To, uh, Pina Palladino lived pretty much next door to me. 
Oh, no way. That's mental. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's that's basically my reaction as well. <laughs> but when I saw him, I was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been in London for four, for like four Minutes. months or something like that. And I, I was walking back to my flat. I was 21, walking back to my flat, you know, with a pint of milk. And this guy comes out of his house with a, with a gig bag. And I'm like, great, there's a muso in my street. Nice. This is a good start, you know. And he, he proceeded to go over to a brand new 7 Series BMW and go, whoop, whoop. And I'm like, hang on a minute. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He's either an accountant that likes playing a bit of bass or he's a really famous bass player. And, and he, by this time, I must have just been gawping at him like this. As I was walking down the street, by which point he, he saw me looking at him and he smiled. And when he smiled, I realized when I was 16, when I was in the band, uh, about 1986, uh, the bass player in that band was obsessed with Pino. And, and he had all of the and also Pino was was getting quite a reputation in the, the mid 80s. Um, you know, he'd already played with Don Henley and all sorts of people. Um, so he's I, and I when he looked at me, I just remembered him from the front cover of bass player magazine <laughs> and i just went mr paladino and he went yeah and i was this is amazing and he was shocked that i was a drummer because he, he thought i was a bass player because he said he's never been recognized in the street by a drummer before you know <laughs> wow um this is pre d'angelo and all that you know you got to remember this he was at the time i think he was, he was playing with eric claps in a bit um what was his main gig yeah he, he, he always had some amazing sessions on and I, you know, from that moment on, I, I kind of bugged him every every day. <laughs> and I'd just, go, I'd just go to his house and we'd go downstairs and have a smoke and a cup of tea and he'd talk about music. And often he would play me things that he'd working on. So I remember he was working on Vinny's solo record. So I heard mm. the DAC recordings of that. Wow. Um, and he, he was playing with Jeff. He played with Jeff like a couple of years later. Um and I don't remember bugging him about that. What's it like playing with Picaro? You know, fucking hell. He's, so he was playing with all of the drummers that I loved. I met Manu. Manu used to come and stay at his house. Wow. And I remember one day walking down the street, same vibe. I think I was coming back from the pub and Pino pulls up and this and Manu gets out and I just couldn't fucking contain myself. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. So Pino, not only was I really lucky to sort of be able to pick his brains about what should you be what should you do how should you do it uh every day um one of the things that i got from him a clear message was that it's just music hmm. and there's and there's no reason why i can't play acdc and love it and also play uh, some some brushes and and listen to miles davis it's fine hmm. And now it's much, musicians are much more, they're wider with their palette, as it were. Um, and it's much more accepting that you listen to hip hop, but you also like Megadeth or whatever. Mm -hmm. But but in the in the 90s, it's sort of quite, pop music in particular is quite snobby. If you if you could play your instrument, then some people, some producers thought you weren't, he's not the right guy, you know? 
and and you know snobbiness in the music business is, is the thing that annoys me the most so you've got jazz guys that don't like dudes that that play music with three chords and then you've got guys that play music with three chords that don't like when the fucking harmony changes mm. like, it's all fine <laughs> yeah and pino kind of he sort of instilled that or i you know he didn't he didn't force it on me i just noticed that that's what he did mm. you know one minute he's playing with phil collins and the next minute he's he's playing with some fusion artist and yeah. i just thought well, that's what i want to do that's pretty powerful to get at like 21 i was very lucky you know and i still now what's even weirder is i play with his son who i remember being born <laughs> that's bonkers wow <laughs> rocco uh, rocco played on the last james morrison record i got him on that gig Amazing. because he sounds he's, he's like a well he is a chip off the old block he sounds like pino play the same instrument and all that play the, the like a jazz bass and all that stuff so you play the same kind of vibe same sound same feel actually that's the thing that fucking freaked me out that's amazing that it feels the same wow yeah amazing so ash i mean just looking at your website you know like literally the the front page is basically just albums and singles that you've played on you know i mean like, i think i read something like it's like 58 top 10 albums or you know like 10 or 18 top 10 singles you know all that kind of stuff have you got a favorite that you remember the session playing on i mean set fires to the rain that was a bit of a memorable one that yeah the adele thing um and do you want the long version or short oh man long always version. long always, always a long, long version right so what i say to musicians right and it, it also ties in what we were just talking about so what i say to musicians is you never know whatever gig you're on, where it might lead. So I was, I was playing with um, Rick Wakeman. Mm -hmm. Do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. the, the keyboard player from Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 70s prog crazy cape, <laughs> 25 keyboards. I, but his drummer broke his arm. Um, Tony Fernandez broke his arm. And they were supposed to do some dates and this drummer had been with him for 25 years and it was the first time he couldn't do the tour. And the bass player on the tour said, I've got a mate, he'll be able to do it. He calls me, Lee Pomeroy plays with um, Take That and he plays with um, uh, all sorts of people. He's playing out, he's going out with. Anyway, he's a great, he's a fantastic bass player. And he, he was playing with Rick at the time and he said, let's, I'll ask Ash. So he calls me and said, are you up for it? I said, yeah. I said, where are the gigs? And he went, uh, Cuba, <laughs> Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, Mexico City support in Asia, Whoa. and Leicester. <laughs> I was like, okay, right, okay. So and I said, well, I'm, I'm really up for it. He said, listen, mate. He goes, listen to the music before you say yes, because it's it's pretty mad. Like the first song was a song called Journey to the Center of the Earth, and it's 20 minutes long. Oh, and it's wow. nearly all hi-hat. Oh, my God, it's ridiculous. And, and you can't write it out because you need a, a fucking fax machine to, <laughs> to deal with all the paper. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so you have to learn songs. Um, anyway, I took it as a challenge and I learned it. Um, and I met Rick in Cuba at, at the gig. Uh, 
and I flew out with the some of the crew and, the, and the, some of the musicians. And there was a member of the crew, and the bass player said, "Have you met Doom yet?" And I went, "Who's Doom?" <laughs> and they went, oh, "It's it's uh, it's Rick's tech." And I'm like, "Why do you call him Doom for?" He's like, "Oh, you know, everything's a bind, everything's a pain." You know, he's the sort of bloke. If he won the lottery, he'd be sort of mildly put out. And <laughs> <laughs> then anyway, I met this bloke, and I and I immediately got on really well with him. Fantastic dude, and we're and we're still friends today. And he was blown away that I'd come in. He'd been working with Rick for twenty odd years, and he'd never seen another drummer do it. And he was amazed that he saw me on the on the plane with my headphones, still trying to get shed this fucking music. Um, and he, I think he was sort of impressed with the way that I kind of, again, sort of approached the gig. Um, and then it was successful. In fact, that gig you can see on YouTube, because when I got to Cuba, Rick said, oh, uh, we're going to do a DVD tonight. I'm like, it's my first gig. <laughs> my first gig i've just met you and so you can see it if you if you search rick waitman cuba that is that is me looking very nervous because i'm we're playing to five and a half thousand people and i've never played any of those tunes live before ever wow fuck me um so that guy doom he said you should meet my mate fraser <laughs> and i went who's fraser he went, oh, he's an old mate. He used to play with Rick. He used to play guitar with Rick. I was like, all oh, right. He goes, yeah, he's a bit of a producer. I was like, Fraser. And then I realised, oh, that's the guy that wrote a song that I played on with James Morrison and Nelly Furtado called um, Broken Strings. So I recognised the name. I was like, okay, this guy wrote, he didn't produce it. Uh, another producer produced it, but I remember him being in the, the writing credits. I was like, okay. I, I said, I think I know this dude. I said, I've never met him. He said, he goes, oh, he'd love you, mate. He'd absolutely love you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and sure enough, we got back to England. The gigs had finished a couple of weeks in, and I got a call from Fraser uh, to do a session um, at uh, Metropolis. And I think, I can't remember, the, such a while ago, I can't remember how it all came about if, if but he want he wanted me to get in contact with Pino as well so and we did that session and a little while later we did CeeLo um with Fraser and and Pino um uh it's called the uh I'm just having a look at this oh the lady it's called the lady killer the record um CeeLo Green and we I played on a few things and I was very thankful because I for the first time in my life I could give Pino a shout and and get him a gig um anyway so cut long story short he basically eventually he said to me what are you doing Thursday or whatever it was Thursday night I said uh, I'm good he goes okay we've got a session I'll go in I'll take my cymbals he had a drum kit actually at his studio and I would just take my snare and my cymbals um and I just you know it was in Fulham. I was living in Battersea. Um, went in, opened the door, and Adele sat on a stool looking at a phone. And I'm like, oh, it's for her. Because he didn't tell me who it was, who was the session. Most of the time, you never know until you hear the voice. It's really weird on sessions. It's one of my sort of favourite things. Um, when I was doing The Lion King, uh, the producer at the time said, oh, 
there's one more song. I was like, okay, cool, sends it. And I'm thinking, oh my God, it's Elton John. Cool. <laughs> you know, and, and Fraser said, um, oh Adele, this is Ash. He's gonna play, he's gonna play drums on the track. She went, oh, nice to meet you. Uh, she goes, who'd you play for? And I was like, oh, now this is crucial now. I'm thinking, God, this is tricky because she might hate the artist. So it's always a nightmare if, if those sort of questions are getting bantered about before you even play. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? They might go, yeah, yeah. I've got to hate him. Mm -hmm. I hate that guy. Um, so, and you will then inherit that kind of negative mm. energy. Yeah. Before you've even had a drum, yeah. That's crazy. Before you've even played, precisely. So I, I said, um, I'll play with Will Young. And she went, fuck off. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll play with Will. She goes, oh, she goes, I fucking love Will Young. Um, she said I was at, um, at the Brit school when he was on that show, when he was on Pop Idol. And she said, um, yeah, there's this girl that said he wasn't going to win it. And I, she goes, I was absolutely sure he was going to win. And she kept on winding me up that, she, that he wasn't going to win it. She goes, so I lamped her. <laughs> <laughs> and she got suspended from school. I mean, for like, fucking hell. Well, for, not a but... For a couple of months for hitting this girl. <laughs> because of Will. So she really did love Will Young, you know. Anyway, so that was a great start. I played with one of her, you know, favourite favorite singers, you know. Um, and we did the session. She was fantastic, uh, really into it. She came up, there's a little snare drum, uh, military sort of snare roll thing, the overdub that we did. And that was her idea. She, came, she goes, oh, I hear this sort of snare thing. Um, and she sang it, you know, and I went in, I can remember, I went in to do an overdub, so they played back the, the track and I'm doing a snare drum uh, overdub, and I could see her through the glass going, you know, that's it, that's it, um, which is amazing. Um, and we, we did the session, a very positive vibe, and uh, she gets in her taxi and off she goes. And I said to Fraser, we cracked a beer open at the end of the session. I said, uh, see you at the Grammys. <laughs> ha, 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 You know, it's bearing in mind only 19 was out. Right. And she was quite famous, but not as famous as she is now. Mm -hmm. um, and, a, and about four or five months later, Fraser said, do you want to come to the Grammys? I'm like, you're joking. He went, she's up for six. Fuck, for that track. For that record, yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. But yeah. So then I end up in uh, Los Angeles at the Grammys and I had an incredibly mad, bonkers week. But um, what I say to people though is there's a direct line from a bloke that wears a cape to a dog. <laughs> so you never know. And, and that guy was Stuart, was doomed, you know. That, that was the that was the actual connection. It's like six degrees of separation. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like how do you get from Rick Wakeman to Adele Ash Sloan? Exactly. You know what I mean? And a guy, a guy like you're saying, like Doom. I'm just going to call him Doom because I think that's probably one of the best names I've ever heard. Um, you know, a guy like Doom, like someone who's maybe got a bit of ego about them, would write off. You know, someone who's just a tech, you know, in open quotation marks, you know. But, you know, he's he's basically was your kind of ticket to Adele, you know. Yeah. For lack of a better term. So it's just always be nice to everyone you meet, you know. Correct. And, you know, don't, 
I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? You can't, you can't force being nice. If you're an arsehole, you're, you're an arsehole, you know. <laughs> um, but getting back, you know, to what you said earlier, you know, how do you maintain those professional relationships? And it's like, you, you've just got to be cool, mm. you know. Just try and be cool when you're working and people will remember that. And, it, and most of the time it's easy to be cool mm-hmm. when you're working, you know, because it's such a brilliant job that we all do. Um, it's when it gets stressful that's when people sort of show their true colors really mm-hmm. uh, and that's the point where your your professional approach to your gig really starts coming into play when when it starts going wrong on stage when the session's not going well um you know uh, trevor horn was introduced by uh, it was sorry it was uh, interviewed by uh, rhythm magazine and they said you know why why do you like ash because he can have anybody. He has had everybody. He's had Picaro, um, Gad, Vinny, mm. you know, um, Trevor's hired everyone. And he said, um, oh, it's his jokes. Um, and, it, and he said, well, because he said, Ash has got this uh, thing where he can feel when the session is getting slightly stressful and he'll nine times out of ten drop a one-liner in and the, the air clears and the the productivity and the creativity is sort of maintained uh yeah. because i've broken the broken the potential negative vibe that's in the room because you know we all know what that's like most people have had an experience of when it's not going well <laughs> in mm-hmm. in a in a studio uh and it and it can be awful but Trevor just said, Ash is great. It just feels it coming and I'll drop a, a joke about a trombonist. I was going to ask you, kind of, again, sort of switching gears a bit, about your relationship with Mike Johnson. And of course, you mentioned earlier on Mark Juliana, you know, doing the, the, the camps with those guys. What's that experience like and kind of passing on, you know, again, you have to put on, you have to take off your studio drummer hat and put on your teacher hat almost, you know, what's it like in those experiences? Yeah, well, what's great is that Mike Mike runs it really, mm-hmm. so it's being run by a professional drum educator, um, and Mike, you know, he identifies that the people that he brings in, he sort of wants you to do your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to think about it as education. Um, and Mike's very good at steering it that way, but really, he just wants me to. To talk, to tell that Adele story or the, you know, meeting Pino's story and, and and give people that experience of like, oh, this is this is what can happen. Because if you talk to anybody, any professional musician, they've we've all got a similar path. You you you're playing in a pub and someone sees you play it, um, or a similar story to that. Oh, I was playing in a band and it happened to be the guitar player from Da Da Da. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Mike, Mike runs it. I, I really enjoy the the hang. It's a proper hang at Twenty One Drums, uh, and Mark and I just got on like a house on fire immediately. Far too much Guinness, <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know that guy. Well, both of them, you know, just fantastic blokes, you know. Um, that happened to play the drums and, it, and it's it's really great and you know while I've done that 21 drums Carlock came in one year um, 
And it's like, well, that's a pretty hefty drummer to be mm. knocking around with. But what an app, he is possibly one of the most humble musicians I've ever met. And I'm, cool. and I'm thinking somebody with that amount of experience and can play like that, if he can be so humble, then there's no excuse for anybody else. Yeah, exactly. If someone's like that from the top, you know, yeah. someone who's not on at that rung on the ladder yet, you know, has no excuse to have a bit of an ego. But you know. Yeah, we were lucky, lucky enough to have him in clinic a few years ago and he was super cool. Just super chill. Amazing. Yeah, just, yeah. just yeah. It's the wonderful thing about drummers. There's not very many people that come through the doors that aren't cool. If anyone, you know, if anyone. That's right. And to be honest with you, especially when you start getting on to the more, the higher sort of, I don't hate to sort of say it like that, but you know, the sort of more well-known famous drummers, there's no way they're going to get to that point by being a sort of, you know, for want of a better word, you know, and an asshole. It's just, it's not going to happen because doors won't open for you on a playing level and on, you know, if you think about it, so the drum education, the drum side of things, which is Mike's world and, you know, uh, endorsements and clinics, and I've done, you know, done one for you guys and mm -hmm. all of that stuff, that is its own industry and you have to be cool with, with those guys too. It's just the same mm -hmm. um, as, as being in the studio. It's the same attitude you should bring to it, I think. Um, and I, I honestly can't think of anybody that I professionally that I wouldn't want to work with again. Yeah, yeah, I can, I could, I could see that from that level. You know, there, it must be, the, it must be the same for other, like for bassists, for keyboard players, for guitarists as well. You know, yeah, because you, you all need each other to scratch each other's back. Absolutely. You know, if if keyboard being nice to a keyboard tech gets you a Grammy winning gig, you know it's. Be nice to everybody. Well, I, well I, you know, I had, obviously I had no idea that that's what would have happened. No, of, co yeah. of course not. But, y y you know, it wouldn't have happened if you were an arsehole. That's right. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So, and it actually wouldn't have happened if I'd listened to them calling him doom and saying, well, you know, and actually I thought, he's not like that at all. He's cool. Um, <laughs> uh, there's another story. I can't name the band, but they're a massive uh, British band. And I got the gig. It's utterly surreal right so i got they were having problems with their drummer and the stadium band right and i got the call to be on standby to play for them um and it transpired that it was a guitar tech that had seen me working with another artist that put me up for it. And I, when they first said, oh, we've got, got your name from, I was like, who the hell's that? Mm. Like, you know, and then, and then they mentioned the band. I was like, okay, he was a, yeah, he was a guitar tech on that gig. And like, same deal. He must've just, I didn't have to talk to him really. He was mm. a guitar tech on the gig. It wasn't my tech, mm -hmm. um, but he had enough influence with this particular band, which were enormous, our enormous, um, that when it came to there was problems with said drummer and some names started getting chucked about, mine was thrown into the pot. A couple of positive um, 
sort of reviews, as, as it were, came from some other people about me, and I got the gig. And wow. same deal. So, and that, that gig, I did it for three... Well, I didn't. It's the most lucrative gig I've never done. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's honestly, uh, like, thousands of pounds not to play. <laughs> wow. And it's amazing. So I nearly... I had to go to, they were having problems one particular day when they were playing Wembley Stadium. And I had to go. And at the, the way that I did it, because I was fully in the voice at that point, is that I got them to send me a live rehearsal. Uh, and I got the, the guy from the voice to transcribe the gig. Right. So I put it on my iPad. So I actually had it written out on my iPad. And I went, I, I'll never forget it. I went to, I had to go to Wembley because if there was a bust up, they had a whole thing arranged. It's like, if it goes down, the singer's going to say, any drummer's out there. And he goes, and you're going to miraculously going to appear. Um, blah, blah, blah. And so I went to Wembley and I had, my, I had my rucksack with an iPad and my sticks. And it was, um, the guy on the, the metal detector, he goes, he goes, why have you got drumsticks? And I went, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He went, all right, come on in. <laughs> but it's like, because I might be doing the gig. I, I didn't say that to him. I said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He's like, all right, anyway. Obviously, I'm not going to kill anybody with a pair of sticks. And, <laughs> and sure enough, they, they started playing, and I messaged the, 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 one of the management team, and... Um, they're like, no, it's all good. And I got on a train and came home. And that's a, I had a couple of those. I had to go to Dublin. I had to fly up to Manchester and I had to go to London. But I never, I never ended up playing for them. They always managed to keep their... Work it out. Yeah. yeah. I can't see which band it was, but they, uh, they were absolutely mega. You need to write a book, man. Yeah. Oh, it's funny, that one. And what, yeah. The funny thing is, their manager, I saw their manager, and he thanked me for being so sort of, like, professional and... Discreet. Uh, discreet about it. And I said, you know what? I look forward to not playing with them again next summer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed. I just love the thought of you going up the road and someone's like, oh, how was the gig? And you're like, don't know. Like, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what was on, interesting, so... I, on their live, on their rehearsal uh, sort of recording, some of the arrangements are like, really, do you do that? Like odd time bars and stuff like that. Um, and I thought, no, someone's just come in early. I've got, I'll have to mark that and remember that that might not be that length. Yeah. It might just be that someone's just gone, <laughs> like now, you know. Yeah. Um, but when I watched them, that's what they did. It's like, wow. So it is like properly arranged. It's like amazing. You get them when you've been playing for 40 odd years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I'm, I'm tapped out. Of yeah. You. Yeah. Like, um, Ash, thank you so much for this. This has been a blast. Yeah, it's been a total pleasure, man. It's a total pleasure. So for those who maybe, you know, don't follow you on social media, where can people find you? The, the one that, you know, that's most popular is Instagram. Mm -hmm. Just Ash Sona Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Like you say, I've just hit up TikTok. I've got to get my dancing together. <laughs> Facebook, I'm on, uh, and YouTube. In fact, YouTube, I'm going to start doing um, 
you know, some streaming, I think, there. And I'm going to start going to get involved with my YouTube channel a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you were mentioned to us briefly as well, you were looking to get your drums going through, you know, Zoom sessions and all that. So that that would be really cool when, you, when you're able to do all that, yeah. Exactly. So I'll be able to stream some kind of educational thing. I'm, that's that's getting close. Also, I'm, I'm talking, we're in the process of trying to figure out a sort of drum camp, but here at the windmill. Oh, cool. Wow. When all this nonsense is over and we're able to do it again, we're talking about it, you know, and I'm, we're looking at, into getting some sort of um, accommodation like shepherd's huts or something like that so wow. people can properly camp. Wow. And there'd be a shower and, you know, all the, the sort of, you know, the, the niceties. It won't be like Glastonbury. Um, <laughs> but then, and then do, and do, you know, a proper drum camp in here. Sort of six, eight people um, for weekends to start with. So that's that's coming around the corner too. Uh, wow. Yeah, just keep keep on following me. Apologies for my uh, my colourful language. I, I... Oh, no, not it's at all. all good, man. All good. I get quite uh, passionate about my, my business. Absolutely. Absolutely. As, as well you should, well, quite rightly so. Um, looking forward to seeing you know what comes out, maybe new Delamitri stuff and, and records that are coming out. Um, yeah. I hope that you manage to stay safe before you're vaccinated. Yes, I hope so too. I mean, I, I just it's, unless, unless moles can get it, I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go across the field. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, until you're back, next next time you're up, man, give us a shout. We've moved location, but do come and see us and, um, if you can. As you know, I'll be up in Glasgow to rehearse when we yeah, do for sure. uh, get back together. Back at Berkeley, Berkeley too, see Stevie. But yeah, I'm an honorary Scott, really. It's been Absolutely, so long, man. Hey, That's like Twenty, twenty five years, something like that. Amazing. I've Great. been playing with that band, yeah. Well, um, aye, thanks, thanks ever so much, mate. And Pleasure. We'll catch you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drummers Only Radio. You can find us online at www.drummersonly.co.uk. Drop us a line. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Drummers Only UK. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify and YouTube. Any questions, info at drummersonly.co.uk is the email, or if you need leads, it's leads at drummersonly.co.uk. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Drummers Only.